Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of In the Tank, another interview episode here as I am Aiden Pearson, and today we're joined by Sean Mernon. Sean Mernon is the broadcaster for the Bowling Green Hot Rods, the high A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Sean, thank you for taking some time out for us today. How are you doing? I'm great, Aiden. Thanks. How are you? Uh, you know, living the life, can't complain, you know baseball's winding down here uh, in the minor leagues, but it's still hot and playoffs are coming up very soon. I've got on my second monitor over here, I'm watching the uh, Tigers Oakland matchup right now. So September baseball is very much underway. Let's get started here coming out of the gates. We'll sort of do a season rundown for lack of a better term. Bowling green has been hot throughout the whole season. And that's no surprise to anyone with the amount of talent in the Rays organization. And it really all started at the top of the season with Ruben Cardenas just mashing the ball. Yeah, he was unbelievable. I mean, he's one of those guys where you saw the way that he started the year and you were kind of like, what is he doing here? Because he just kept hitting, not just hitting the ball out, but hitting the ball in general. I think that not, and, and you're 100% right on Cardenas. I think it actually started with Jonathan Aranda because he was the first one to go up. And he was hitting like 360 here. He went up, maybe scuffled for a week in Montgomery, and he has been nails ever since. I mean, he has one of the highest batting averages in that league, I think. Yeah, you talk about a Ronda, 21 games for you guys, a 351 average, four homers, seven RBIs. Uh, just look good, a stolen base, at over 1,000 OPS. And then you talk about Cardenas, 30 games. He gave you 10 homers, 31 RBIs, hitting 368 with a 1082 OPS. So you talk about two guys who really started to carry you guys from the beginning, and both of them are really succeeding up in Montgomery. Are you shocked at all that both of them are having a really good season up at the next level? No. Those two guys are what our hitting coach Brady North likes to call professional hitters. Those are guys that, you know, regardless of where they go and regardless of the varying levels of success they're going to have, they're going to have the same approach at the plate. They're going to be looking for their particular pitches. They're going to go through all of their breakdowns and all of their scouting reports and stuff the same way. Um, so it's not surprising to me at any level of success that either one of those guys are going to have at, at really any level just because of the type of players they are. And I think something that goes sort of unsaid or un, unseen in the stats that you just look at, like the base stats, is both of them are above average defenders at the positions they play. Yeah, I think Aranda a little less so than, than Cardenas. Cardenas has been uh, pretty good. He can play the corners. He can play some center field, uh, whereas I think Aranda is, uh, you know, he play. I can remember in 2019, so we had the both in 2019 here uh, when we were a low A affiliate, and Aranda was, you know, a good, a serviceable second baseman, um, kind of a short first baseman with the bat that he had. Um, whereas, you know, Cardenas was able to be moved around. He's not a guy that's going to have lightning speed or anything like that. He has a pretty good arm, um, but those guys are definitely, you know, bat-heavy players. Another guy that got called up during the season, uh, Nico Holsizer has shown, I think what Rays fans in front offices wanted to see with the power finally coming from his bat. I mean, in Bowling Green, just with you guys in 44 games, he had 13 homers and 41 RBIs. Did strike out quite a bit, 70 strikeouts to only 25 walks and only hit 248, but a 930 OPS. And, you know, he's really coming to his own and he's doing quite well up in Montgomery as well. Um, you guys have sort of had a, probably the best offensive outfield in God knows how long. And we'll get to some of the, 
two other guys who I want to highlight here in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, I mean, Nico really brought the thunder down here, didn't he? And the funny thing is, if you look at the first couple of weeks of his season this year, it was not great. He actually was pulled out of the first game of the season. Um, he was in left field and ended up needing to come off, and he was on the IL for at least a week, maybe two. And so his season really didn't get started for a while. And he was – I can remember we were in Rome, Georgia, and the broadcast booth is, is relatively close to the stands there. And I could hear some kids talking in front of me during a commercial break, and they saw Nico getting ready to head up to the plate. And Nico, at that point, his dreads were dyed blue. I mean, he was just, you know, he's a very noticeable guy. And he was walking up to the plate, and this one kid looks at the other kid and goes, wasn't he hitting, like, 079 the last time he was here? And Nico was coming up to the plate, and at that point, he was hitting 250, 260, 270. Like, he was, his batting average had made this a drastic jump. And at that point, I think he had seven home runs. And the other kid looks and goes, didn't he only have like two home runs? Wasn't that two weeks ago? That's who Nico Holsizer is. All of a sudden, the light switch goes on, and there's just a bunch of explosions around the ballpark from the ball landing off of his bat. And I think, you know, with Nico especially, the one sort of, I guess, negative or knock you hear about him throughout the organization is that at times he feels like a streaky player. Sometimes it feels like he'll get hot for certain periods of time, and then when he's off, he's off, but when he's on, he's on. And I think that this season you're starting to see that change that he's pretty much outside of that, you know, that injury at the beginning of the season between Bowling Green and Montgomery, he's really gotten hot and stayed hot the entire year. Yeah. I I think it's so interesting when you hear people organizationally talking about, you know, Oh, this guy's a streaky player or um, you know, my personal favorite. Oh, so-and-so is injury prone kind of stuff like that. I think it's always important for us as fans and, and whatever you, you know, whatever your relationship is to not just the hot rods, but across baseball is they're in the minors. They're still kids. Like they've never experienced anything like 140, let alone 120 game season. Um, you know, even in, even in situations where they're going to collegiate summer, wooden bat league, in some cases, they're not going to experience the travel. They're not going to experience playing professionally. I mean, this is, you know, this is this is their life now. This is not just a you know an after school activity or anything. And and I think, you know, the streakiness, the the consistency comes with them being able to play. And not only that, but I think we can all agree there are plenty of power hitters out there. Um, and that's what Nico is. Nico can hit for average, but he's a power hitter. Take a look at the videos of his swing. I mean, that I would absolutely destroy my back and spine if I did anything with that type of intent. And He's a, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, every once in a while, yeah, he's probably not going to homer for a week or two. And then all of a sudden he's going to have three in a game. And I, I think that that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that stuff when I hear, you know, oh, he's, he's streaky or something like that. I'm not saying there's nothing to it. I'm just saying, you know, there's a certain, I think there's a certain level of expectation in the minors. Let's talk about the three guys who have been in the middle of your lineup basically the entire season. And I think you know exactly where I'm going with this one. Also, the three of them all challenging for the home run title, not just in Bowling Green, but in the league itself and in minor league baseball itself. I'm talking about Evan Edwards, Grant Witherspoon, and Jordan Kassar. The three of them have all played over 80 games. The only other guy who's over 80 games as well is Pedro Martinez, the shortstop. But the three of them combined, I mean, you're talking about a good, solid 60 60 homers or so. And I mean, they're just crushing the ball. 
And I want to start, we'll start with Evan Edwards and then we'll move on to the other two. Evan Edwards is just like Nico in, in a sense of a pure power hitter. He's not really going to give you the average, but he'll hit for pop, but he's playing a very good first base as well. Uh, sort of talk about what you've seen from Edwards this season. I have heard, and I, we're going to talk about the bat because you can't not talk about Evan Edwards' bat, but I have heard from coaches and personnel around the league that as far as the high eight East is concerned, Evan Edwards is the best defensive first baseman in this league. And I'm hard-pressed to think of somebody who is better at that position that I've seen so far this year. Um, he has been everything that Bowling Green has not had in the past, <laughs> at, at the very least in 2019, where we had guys like Jonathan Arondo playing first base. And then to be able to see him do that and turn it around with the bat, where he's now at 22 home runs after he hit his second walk-off home run in two weeks last night. Um, it's really been special to watch him turn around. And if you go back and look at the series he had two weeks ago in Greensboro, which is where he's from, uh, that was one of the most ridiculous offensive performances I've seen this year as far as a guy goes home and there's that immediate level of comfort where he's just hitting the ball all over the yard, out of the park. He had a building across the street with a ball that he hit. I mean, he has been just – I think he's one of those guys that – this is what Bowling Green really needed was somebody to come up and just start hitting the way he's hitting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember reading on Twitter that he now has the team record for most home runs in a season. Last night's walk-off homer tied the single season record for the Bowling Green Hot Rods, a team that's been around since 2009. So yeah, we're not one of those fancy class C ballparks from the 1960s, but I mean, it's been over a decade now. Uh, in 2011, Derek Dietrich, who, of course, people probably remember as being a big leaguer and, you know, pretty good baseball player, he hit 22 in 2011. Um, here's a fun question for you, Aiden. Do you know or would you venture a guess at how many players in Hot Rod's history, knowing that we've been affiliated with the Rays ever since our inception, how many players in Hot Rod's history have reached the 20 home run benchmark I'm prior go, to this season? We'll go prior to this season. I'm going to go prior to this season. I'm going to go four. Wow. It was Dietrich, and then it was uh, Hernandez a couple years ago in 2018. Wow. Chris Betts had 19. Um, um, maybe, now that I think about it, maybe it's three because Moises Gomez might have gotten 20. But I was going to say, didn't, we have I, I thought Moises got there. This season to have three guys do it. Yeah. I mean, and, and think about that. Hernandez also, that last month of his season – was not played in Bowling Green either. His last month of the season in the month of September, if I'm not mistaken, he was called up to Port Charlotte to help them in their playoff push. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, imagine yeah. if he got that that extra month of September too, where, where they're playing and with playoffs and everything. Imagine if he got that to keep hitting. I mean, we're probably talking about a record of somewhere close to 25 to 30. I think we're talking about that this year because you've got Edwards doing that. And then Kazar's sitting at 20, and he's a guy that just – he goes off like crazy with the power. Witherspoon just got to 19 last night. I, I think, you know, I mean, Jackson McGowan's got 15 homers this year, and he doesn't get the playing time everyone else does. Like, there's, there's a very real chance that you could see – you know, I think we're going to see three guys reach 20. We, we might get to four. Yeah, I mean, that's insane to think about. You've had 
three in the entire history of, of the hot rods over 10 years. And you could have that many, if not more than that in, in a whole season. That's just insane to think about. And I think that attests to what the Rays look for in how they develop their hitters. Yeah, um, I, I think the, the cool thing is getting to watch these guys and watch their uh, watch their plate appearances and their bats. Um, you, know, you can tell that that they're really trying to focus hard on, you know, focusing on. And a lot of people think that it's a see the ball, hit the ball thing, or they're hunting a particular pitch. Um, the the meetings that these guys have and the information that's at these guys' fingertips to be able to understand what they're trying to look for at the plate is second to none. And I credit, you know, we have uh, uh, Mike DeLong is our, our video uh, intern here, and he handles a lot of that kind of stuff as far as pulling information and pulling video of the players that they're going to face. But also Brady North, the hitting coach, because he sits down with these guys and does whatever. But Jonathan Ronda, for instance, okay, not, not to harp on him too much. I mean, he is one of my favorite players that I've ever dealt with, but he's been so good. He's hit more home runs this year just in this year than I think he may have in totality in his career. And part of that is because Brady North was working with him with a golf tool, believe it or not, during the preseason and leading into the season here where there's a particular tool that has a slider on it and it's supposed to simulate in your golf swing where impact with the ball should be so that if you're casting the club, which basically means you're releasing it early, anything like that, you'll be able to hear that and you can start you know, getting the good feels or whatever that snap. And so Arondo wasn't, he was kind of casting the bat, I guess, for lack of a better term. And he was sort of releasing it early instead of keeping it tight, compact to the ball and then snapping his wrist as a point of impact. And they worked on that to the point where Arondo was standing in the on deck circle using the tool here. And now he took that thing with him to, to Montgomery. Uh, Eric Osberg's power has come along in part because of some of that teaching and things like that. So it's it's interesting to watch the development of that and the understanding not just of who they are as a baseball player, but the physics of the baseball swing. And that stuff has really caught my eye this year. Yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about Kassar and then I want to I want to highlight Grant Witherspoon, too. But let's start with Kassar. Kassar sort of, if you think about him, is very a very good hitter, obviously. But I think the, the part of his game just that goes unrecognized, and I, I hate to harp on this, is the defense. He plays a very good outfield, and that is something that uh, we had Alan Strong on in the last episode, and we'll get to him as well because I want to talk about that whole pitching staff down there in Bowling Green. But he talked about the fact that with, you know, especially when Cardenas was there, but when it was, you know, Witherspoon, Kassar, and Cardenas in that outfield, you were confident that everything was going to get caught unless it was hit out of the park. Yeah, uh, Jordan is one of the most athletic guys you're going to catch on a baseball field, maybe bar Grant Witherspoon, like we were just talking there. But it, it's weird because he's a guy that has, you know, at the plate has a ton of that power, and and you know, obviously the bat is good. But as you said, um, you know, he's he's played some right field since some of those guys moved up. He's been good in right field. He's been playing center field lately, and I think he's been good in center field. The, the difficult thing to transition between those two is. When you're in center, everything is pretty much hit right at you, so it's a little bit easier to track. Whereas when you're in the corners, things tend to curve. They tend to you know, curve away from you or, or towards center field. So I think that that's part of the reason why you'll see guys move around so much is so that they get used to all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, Jordan is super athletic. And even, look, he's got 15 stolen bases this season, Aiden, on top of the, the 20 homers. So uh, I think this year he has really been able to showcase – all of the things that he brings to the table, not just defensively, where he's made a bunch of 
a bunch of great diving catches and, and, you know, been able to track a bunch of balls down, but also obviously on the offensive side. And I hate to, I hate to bring up a negative point in anyone's game, you know, cause we're all about highlighting people, but does it concern you at all? Obviously you're a broadcaster. You're not in the front office. You're not making the big decisions, but would it concern you at all? The fact that Kassar has got 300 at bats and he strikes out in over a third of his ABs. No, because if you look at the way that he is as a player, yes, he's going to strike out. He's also going to hit home runs. He's going to have a good slugging percentage. He's also going to walk, which is a huge deal because you can, you can deal with the strikeouts. Those, those outs are going to come one way or the other. He's also working walks with his patience. If you look at his average, his batting average, his OBP throughout the season, he might be the most consistent player in the entire system. You know day in and day out what you are going to get from Jordan Kazar offensively. And I think that that, because it's so good, because the ceiling is so good, I think that while you, maybe you would like to coach to see the strikes, strikeouts lower, you certainly don't want to coach him to be more passive than what he already is with the walks he's getting. So do you think with his game, is there you, – you obviously just mentioned the fact that he draws a lot of walks and things like that. But I think the, the thing that comes to my head with, with Kassar is the fact that he does have the speed too because you talk about those, those stolen bases, those 15 stolen bases, but 17 doubles and three triples on top of that. So he's not only hitting for power out of the park, but he's also finding the gaps. Yeah, and some, I mean, some of those doubles in truth are hustle doubles. I mean, those are balls that he's hitting where outfielders are getting to them. But because he was out of the box and because he's running hard, he's able to stretch those into doubles. And that's where the speed comes in. And not only that, but that's the type of attitude that you want to have out of a guy like that, isn't it? I mean, really, really trying to hustle and try to make every play that you possibly can. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Very, not the same player-wise, but similar hustle to the way you think of Kevin Kiermeyer when he first came up with the Rays, you know, trying to take advantage of every opportunity he could get. Let's go ahead and move on to one of my two favorite players on the Bowling Green Hot Rods. I'll put it out there just because, you know, it's the truth. But Grant Witherspoon, I, I mean, the fact that he's doing what he's doing, and he started off the first month of the season cold. I mean, ice cold, under a 200 average, was not really giving power. And then something flipped a switch there, and boy, has the rest of the season, has he turned and been just a phenomenal bat who can play multiple positions for the Hot Rods. The beauty of the 2021 Hot Rod season, when it's all said and done, will be that somehow Bowling Green sent a roster of high A East All-Stars to the Montgomery Biscuits. And that every single time it happened, somebody else just stepped up and played better. It's, it's, the perfect, it's the perfect storm here in South Central Kentucky. And Grant Witherspoon has been a huge part of that. And I'm glad that you said that because he is another guy where, you know, the stolen bases aren't necessarily there this year. Um, and he's way faster than 10 stolen bases, let me tell you. But his ability to play all the outfield positions, his ability, as you mentioned, to be able to climb out of the ditch because that's where he was at the plate. He was making some solid contact, and he was occasionally hitting the ball out, but we were starting to see the strikeouts pile up. We were starting to see that batting average dip and go lower and lower, and then all of a sudden, it was just one of those things where it's like, it was almost like you woke up one day and he said, I'm Grant Effin Witherspoon. What the heck is going on here? And he just, I mean, it, you look back, he was player of the month in the month of July, and the numbers 
that he put up in that month were just disgusting. I think he finished the month on an 18-game hit. I mean, he was just I, – I don't know if I have the words. I, my brain still can't quite comprehend what he did in that month. I mean, he hit eight home runs and, and all of a sudden came running back. He's hit about 260 now. Um, and even then, I mean, there, there's some, there's been some talk around the ballpark that he may be due again. I mean, he may go off again this season. And that's, if I'm a pitcher, I'm terrified right now if that happens, because you've already got Evan Edwards hitting well, Jordan Kazar, you know what you're going to get from him. And then you get Grant Witherspoon, maybe stroking it at 350 again. I mean, that's not it, fair. It would probably be the craziest thing done in the, uh, in that team and that would be scary when you're going up in the playoffs you know not knowing what team you're going to face in the playoffs is going to be a scary thing you know what I mean it's it's not knowing what what team you're going to face you know it's a scary thing but knowing this team they can do it against anyone and that also starts with the pitching staff and I think you know I, I want to start with Alan Strong just because I mentioned him earlier but here's my thing if you talk about Alan Strong he, the only reason his ERA is inflated, and I looked at the splits for it, the single reason his ERA is inflated was because they tried to lengthen him back out as a starter. When he is a reliever, he has a sub two ERA. I mean, talk about a tale of two different pitchers. And that's what he sort of described when he was talking to us. How valuable has he been to this bullpen, but also all the pitchers in Bowling Green? Yeah, Allen is, I have a soft spot for Allen because he was here in 2019. He was an all-star with us. Um, and he, you know, he's one of those kids where he left and I mean, still stayed in contact when we were in the pandemic and stuff like that. He wanted to play MLB the show on the, on the Twitch stream and, and he wanted to do all that stuff. I mean, uh, you know, per, person first, Alan Strong is, is one of the best people that you'll meet doing this. But uh, as a pitcher, he was, I mean, he was one of our best starters. Uh, here in 2019 and even then I believe that Baseball America had him pegged as having the best command um, that, uh, definitely on the team but potentially in the league I think if I remember correctly and he went into that bullpen role part of it was you know they didn't he came down from Montgomery part of it was that they, they really didn't have enough innings because this system has been chock full of pitchers I think we had uh, close to 17 or 18 pitchers on the roster here at one point um, and you know, Allen went into the bullpen and thrived. I mean, he was one of the most effective arms that we had. He's a guy that sits in the mid-90s with his fastball. There's a little bit of run to it. And uh, he throws that um, – that, how do I want to put this? Because he throws – so he throws – he calls it a cutter. Um, but he also throws 94, and that cutter comes in at about 86. So I guess it's more of a slutter. It's like a slider cutter. Um, and it, it's it's been – hard for these guys to hit when he comes in and throws one or two innings. I think it's really that third inning where for whatever reason, um, he's had a hard time getting through the order that third time, but it, it, I mean, he's been pitching out of the bullpen the last few times out and he's right back to being, you know, the Alan strong that we saw early in the season. He, he comes into the game and you know, guys are going to have a really hard time getting the bat on the ball. I mean, you want to talk about just dominance with him. He, he is, you know, as a reliever, the fact that he can throw three, four pitches out of the bullpen and can give you two innings, uh, I think uh, for Rays fans or fans listening to the podcast, similar way the Rays use Colin McHugh. You know, one to two innings out of the bullpen can, can give you that little bit of length, but also if you need him for one high leverage inning, he can give that to you as well. And I think, you know, 
not that the Rays made a mistake because obviously you, he was a starter. He was very dominant as a starter. But the fact of the matter is, is something he mentioned too, is that now as a reliever, the fact that he can put it all out there and not try to save anything anytime out has really changed his mentality and helped him a whole lot be able to be a better pitcher almost. Yeah, I mean, it's, it isn't really all, but it comes down to mentality. Um, and, and yes, part of it is like, a, you know, physical capabilities. I mean, you know, Aiden, I, I don't know about you, but me, if I went out and tossed, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the booth up here in the ballpark. We have a double header today. If I went out to speed pitch and tried to throw 60, I, my arm would probably fall off. I'm just not capable of it, um, which I'm fine with, by the way. But, it, you know, you, you look at Alan Strong and, you know, that's a kid where, you know, as a starter, he's 91, 92. And he comes out of the bullpen throwing 94, maybe, I mean, you know, 95, maybe 96. Um, we know what the way baseball is. I mean, that, that matters. That, that, you know, that four to six miles per hour matters. So, yeah, to be able to see him come out and have that, and not only that, but his father was here this last week and saw him pitch. And I think that that was, uh, that was a nice experience for him, too, because he came out and, you know, ended up with a safe. By the way, Alan Strong, uh, the Bowling Green Hot Rods franchise wins leader as well. He's got six on the season coming out of the, coming yep. out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he, had ten, he had 10 two years ago. So yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about a crazy stat, all, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember looking yesterday, all six of his wins – are from relief appearances. I am not going to correct you because I don't have it. I'm not, I don't have anything in front of me, but it sounds right. So we're just going to roll with it. There we go. Talk about some of these other pitchers on this Bowling Green team. I mean, I I think the first one you have to highlight, just, just looking at the stats is I'd almost call him a three headed monster. Jaden Murray, Jaden Murray, Miller Hogan, and Jacob Lopez. Man, those guys were crazy to have here um you know jacob i guess i'll start with the last one first um from what i saw on instagram i believe jacob is done for the season um but that guy could strike people out that was another guy that was acquired via trade he was brought over i think in 2019 from the giants as part of that joe mccarthy deal and i mean he just he came out he's got he doesn't throw a sinker but he throws a fastball that has quite a bit of sink and he gets a lot of swings and misses with it. He was at one point he was leading the league in strikeouts, and I think he was leading it for like a week and a half or two weeks after he had been promoted. Um, so Jacob, is, and he's another guy. He's he's a bigger kid. He's tall. You know, he's taller. He just has that look of a guy that's going to come out there, and he may very well give you seven or eight innings, and he might have you know a dozen strikeouts. And it's just, I mean, he was he was a lot of fun to watch here, and and he was kind of buried in the rotation behind guys like Jaden Murray who just doesn't I mean he just doesn't give anything up uh, I don't know I don't know you know what to say I saw a game where he pitched in last week or two weeks ago where he went like six he had a quality start he had like six innings he gave up one hit or it was one unearned run he had give up like three hits and the Montgomery still ended up losing that game and it's and he ended up taking a loss nonetheless and um I mean, Jaden is just one of those guys where he gets out on the mound and he just works and works and works. The, the huge thing with a lot of these pitchers, Aiden, that we've seen this year is tempo. When you watch these guys, they get the ball and they go. They don't wait around. They're not, you know, pacing around the mound. Even when there's runners on base, they'll vary up their timing and stuff like that. But they aren't sitting on, on the bump out there waiting for, 
you know, wait, waiting for somebody to call time or something like that. They want to roll. They want to get going. Yeah, and I think that's a huge part of it. Um, talk to me a little bit about other pitchers who may sort of go under the radar, just because I hate to say it this way, but the stats, you know, you look at the stats online, and the ERAs, a lot of them are a little bit higher than I think you would expect. Um, and, you know, there's obviously so much shuffle happening at, at every level, especially with pitchers in the Rays organization this year just due to injury straight up at the big club. So there's so much shuffling happening. So sort of talk to us a little bit about what this whole pitching staff may look like to end the year, plus going into the postseason, which you guys are basically all but in. And I'll, I'll say that with knocking on some wood. Yeah, our magic number as of today is 12 to be in, 13 to win the division and get the one seed. So uh, we would like any well wishes that you have. But... I will give you a name of somebody that I don't think has necessarily flown under the radar. I just don't think he's gotten enough attention. Tanner Dodson was here and he started out the season as the two-way player. Mm -hmm. And I want to say maybe May, uh, they dropped the two-way player status and he just went to pitching. So I, here, let me, I love asking questions. I mean, that's the hard part yeah. about interviewing a broadcaster is we're used <laughs> to being, you know, we're used to being on the other side of this. Exactly. Is a, is a whip that is under 1.00 good? It's amazing. I mean, that's, it, it, it's flat out amazing. If you go back and look, Tanner Dodson's whip after he gave up hitting is under one. At least in Bowling That's Green, insane. it was. That's part of the reason why I got promoted. That's insane. Yes, you are correct. That is absolutely insane. Especially, um, especially doing it with the kind of hitters you guys have in your league. I mean, you know, high A is obviously different from low A, but the fact of the matter is, is this year your guys' league has been leading. I'm pretty sure if I read correctly, it leads minor league baseball in slugging percentage as a whole league entirely. So, I mean, that's just one of those crazy things to think about is how good your hitters are and the fact that you can have a guy like that. And even overall on the season, you look at his overall stats with, with Bowling Green, 24 games, 39 and two-thirds innings, a 1-3-1 whip, and 4-0 with a 2-5 ERA, and opponents are only hitting 250 off of him. I'll take that every day of the week. Aiden, if you go into the month-by-month -month breakdowns on his splits there, you'll be able to flat-out see when he stopped hitting because the whip falls off the table. It is the, the like, I, I love numbers. I try not to use them as much on the broadcast here, just because I think a lot of people can get lost in them, especially if you're not good at, especially if you're not good at explaining them. Now your listeners are going to be different because they're, they're people that are really into this kind of stuff, which is awesome. But Whip is one of my favorite statistics because it's a, it's it's not quite FIP, but it's going to tell you specifically with these guys how are they doing. Just pitcher pitcher v batter, um, and I, that, to me that was one of the craziest stats this year. I think it was like I want to say it was like point nine eight or something like that after he had quit hitting which by the way he was a switch hitter but he just wasn't he wasn't getting the hits at this level that, that you would need from somebody that's taken up a spot in the lineup yeah i mean that's it's really like something you're talking about one thousand percent and wholeheartedly i think another thing that i like to look at too is there's another guy for me that flew under the radar and i sort of looked into him a little bit trevor bridgeton i, I believe i'm pronouncing that properly you can correct me if i'm wrong um 
22 games for you guys, 6-0 with a 3.06 ERA, but a .88 whip and opponents only hitting a buck 85. And then you go underneath him, and even though it was only seven games, Peyton Battenfield, 2-0 with a 1.45 ERA and a .74 whip and opponents hitting 162. I mean, just just talk about – I mean, you're talking about this and you're hearing it and you're you're mentioning it, but this pitching staff has been quite – you know, yes, they give up the runs, but but really overall, they've sort of been pretty dominant. Yeah, uh, Brigden is uh, he's uh, he's crazy to watch. He's another guy from his mid nineties. You know, he's around ninety four, and he has some good breaking pitches, but he just locates and and is deceiving. And you know, one of the things that he did this year that um, uh, has gotten a little bit of press around here, at least people people found it interesting, was um, you know he pitched in the one of the qualifiers for team Canada. So he's around guys like Paul Quantrill and John Axford. Um, and, and he, he had said in one of the articles that, you know, that, that really kind of helped him as far as being able to pick those guys' brains because they were super open and super helpful to him. Um, but Trevor was just, you know, he's been really good. He, he struggled. I think he, I want to say he struggled a tiny bit when he first got here by a tiny bit. I mean, like maybe one and a half outing and, he came up with Colby White, who's now in double A. And Bridgen has just been one of the more consistent arms. Now, I say that knowing last night, um, the only thing that they that Hickory, who's the high affiliate of the Texas Rangers, got off of him, uh, they, you know, he, he came in and he got six outs. The only thing that he did was he made a mistake to former Bowling Green hot rod Trey Hare, who tied the game with a homer to right, thus, you know, opening the door for. Evan Edwards hit a, a two-out, two-strike homer to win the game. So, um, you know, if that's your lone mistake and you still end up, you know, you end up with a blown save, but you end up with a win too, I guess, <laughs> oh, well, you know, really twist my arm. They won 70 games. Um, but uh, on the other side of it, um, you know, there's I mean, there's been a bunch of guys that have come to her. We talked about Colby White. Colby White was great. Peyton Battenfield was an interesting case. And he honestly, he was one of those guys where he came in again, via trade from Houston and ended up, you know, in Akron with the rubber ducks uh, as, as part of a trade with Cleveland during the season this year. So, um, you know, he built up his stock and became a guy who was considered a prospect uh, as far as publications were concerned. Uh, Take a look at the system. And Peyton is another guy. He's almost that Joe Ryan S guy where he's got carry to his fastball this this spin efficiency, spin rate, all that kind of stuff. That is Peyton Battenfield all over. And he was just a swing and miss guy. He came out here and, you know, it was nothing for him to fire eight strikeouts or something like that. I mean, he was fantastic. Yeah. So I want to get in. I've got some other fun stuff to talk about here in a few minutes, but I want to put you sort of on the spot here and ask you this. Is this the best team that has ever been at Bowling Green? Record-wise, yes. Um, if they continue at this pace, this will likely be the best team that's ever seen the field here in Bowling Green. Um, now, granted, that 2018 team was Baseball America's team of the year, um, but this team actually beat them to 60 wins and beat them to 70 wins um, uh, because it took them 20 games back in 2018 to get to 70 wins. Mind you, that team also broke 90 wins and breezed through the postseason. So. There's only one round to get through here. And that, by the way, 18, 2018, when they won the Midwest League Championship, that was the only time in team history. We've made the playoffs seven years trying to go for number eight. 
That was the only time that they hadn't been swept in the first round. So that to me is, is a crazy, crazy stat. Anytime that Bowling Green makes the postseason, they either win the championship or get swept in the first round. You heard it here first, or maybe not. I mean, but I let's let's hope it's the win the championship. Let's let's hope this year it's the win the championship. <laughs> I mean, and that 2018 was just loaded with top prospects. I mean, Wander Franco leading the way for that team. Yeah, that one was so Wander was a baby. I guess he's always been a baby, but Wander was the 19 team the year after where he ended up playing with some of those guys. That 18 team was Bruhan, Taylor Wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you had the, uh, you know, Her- Hernandez was here. Um, I think uh, Moises Gomez was here. I mean, you had, hey, don't get me wrong, it was still a really, really good team. Um, that 19 team was had some good players on it too. I was here for that one. Um, but you know, I think that that's the weird part is you can have, you know, McClanahan was on that team. Matthew Libertor was on that team. Shane Boz was on that team in 19. That was a team that was stacked with prospects. This team has had a steady influx of prospects this year, but it's just been guys who have been performing so far beyond what you could have expected from them. Um, that it, you, you can't do anything but look at the coaching staff and go, what are you guys feeding these kids? Yeah, and, and that's something I want to get into, the coaching staff. And I think it, you know, obviously it all starts at the top of the manager. But when we talked to Grant Witherspoon about a week ago now, he said that the biggest thing for him is the fact that Brady North is almost that bridge between a player and a coach because he's so young, and that's helped him a whole lot. And, I mean, talk about the impact that Brady North has on that team. Yeah, Brady North, uh, great guy, spectacular base, uh, spectacular golfer. Um, you know, that's pretty much all. No, I'm kidding. That's that's not all I have to say about it. But um, Brady is one of those guys that is always looking for an answer, and in turn, then is constantly digging for solutions. And that's I think that that's part of it because he is always willing to give these guys his time. Um, Brady lives like two blocks away from the ballpark here. And I feel like Brady's the type of guy where if you called him and said, Hey, I, I, I thought about something and I'd really like to try and go out and get a few swings in the batting cage. And he's been home for two hours. If his kids are asleep, he might come back and throw to you. Um, then Brady is just super dedicated to what he's doing here. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of times where he'll ask, you know, questions about stats or he'll ask for something and he's not the, the nice thing is, I guess, on my side of it, he's not a pain about it. He's, you know, <laughs> he's when he asks for something, there's usually one, a good reason behind it. And two, he doesn't do it very often. Uh, he's super self-sufficient on that side. He understands the statistics. He understands the scouting reports. And I mean, he really doesn't he really doesn't need too much, uh, you know, from the media relations side of things. Yeah. And then, obviously, Jeff Smith at the top. I mean, managing a, a hell of a team. And lucky, I guess, lucky or lucky or not for the Bowling Green Hot Rods, is some of these guys knew him. I mean, some of these guys returned and, and knew him. And, you know, you talk about having a great manager. And Jeff Smith and the whole race organization is filled with talented managers. Yeah, I mean, the, the up and down, that's very true. Jeff Smith is, is one of the more interesting managers that I've had the pleasure of dealing with so far in my career. Um, you know, obviously the, the backstory of him being a player for years and years and years and then becoming a, a manager uh, within the, the 
Minnesota Twins organization, working his way up to being a base coach um, at the big league level for a couple of years there for Paul Molitor on his staff, uh, and then ending up with Tampa and, and coaching that Port Charlotte team uh, back in 2019, the one that obviously all of the good guys we had got promoted to. Um, but, but now, I mean, this is this is one of the, the I would assume this is one of the damnedest teams he's ever coached because they just keep, you know, you keep getting guys leaving. And I don't know how many times I've gotten walked into his office, you know, to, to leave something off and just be like, hey, uh, so I need you to make some roster moves. And all of a sudden I have seven things that, that need to be moved around and guys that need to be promoted and stuff. And to his credit, they keep coming in and they keep, you know, they keep playing for him. I'm, I'm a big advocate of, you know, winning at the minor league level is somewhere between 80 to 90% player driven. Um, it's, it's a matter of these guys doing the best that they can. Um, and, and really, I think it's probably more like 90%. Um, and the only reason that I give the 10% to the coaching staff is because they're literally working every single day to make these guys better. You know, at the end of the day, I, co- I, I can remember I had coaches that love to say, I can't go out there and swing the bat for you. And, and that's, that's the truth. They cannot do that. But the amount of time that Jeff Smith and Brady North and Skeeter Barnes and Jim Paddock spend working with these guys on the things that are going to make them major leaguers, um, I, I think is, is certainly a testament to those 70 wins that they have now. Yeah. Um, let's sort of talk about this year, you know, not being the Midwest League. You guys, the teams are not sort of all crumbled up, I'll say, for lack of a better term, are all, you know, relatively close. I mean, y'all are still relatively close. But one thing that the players mention is the love-hate for the six games against the same team in one place, but just the travel this year has sort of sucked. Yeah. Um, man, I, how, do I, how do I attack this one? Because on one hand, I get it. Um, there are pieces of the travel that, that could get better. I think, you know, having the additional bus helps. Um, I think at the same time, the Midwest, like, you know, not not for nothing, the, the Midwest League is one of the, like, crown jewels of minor league baseball. Now, the high A central. Um, you know, you're going to places like Fort Wayne, Lansing, uh, South Bend has a great ballpark. I mean, these are places that feel bigger than what they are. They play, you know, they punch a higher weight class, that type of thing. The, the amount of fans that they draw, all that kind of stuff. Um, and not only that, but you're going north where ballparks are going to take a bit more of a beating in the winter. And, and you know, but some of those places are more multi-purpose stadiums. And so they're going to get replaced sooner, things like that. Whereas, you know, this league, we're going down into, you know, kind of what was the old South Atlantic League with some Carolina League sprinkled into it. And, um, you know, some of these ballparks are, are going to be affected by the changes that Major League Baseball has asked for um, as far as facilities and things like that. But overall, the travel, uh, I don't know, you know, in, in talking to you, some of the guys that, that have been on here, um, I may have to I may have to go needle them a little bit because I don't know if they remember leaving at 11:30 on a Thursday night from Bowling Green Ballpark to make the eight to ten hour trek to Lansing, Michigan, just to play, you know, another seven o'clock game the next day, um, and only go there for three or four games before you turned around and maybe went to Fort Wayne or South Bend. I mean, being able to get on the bus and, and go and then be at your destination for a week. Um, uh, the worst things have happened to better people, uh, as far as I'm concerned, at least. 
Uh, I'll, I'll just say this now because I know he listens. Grant Witherspoon, I'm sorry I got you in trouble. <laughs> oh, Spoonie oh, doesn't care. Spoonie will, Spoonie will take me to test. That guy's, that guy's a genius. He's, he was an engineering student at Tulane. He, uh, he, he told us at the beginning of the season that he was a chess grandmaster, and I believed him for about two weeks because he's that smart. So that'll be an interesting conversation. Oh, yeah, 1,000%. And you talk about, you know, having two guys like that. Uh, you, you talk about having guys like that in the clubhouse atmosphere. Every single player I've talked to, and I, I caught up with Cardenas off the podcast. I got to go to Montgomery to watch a game and, and got to cut up, catch up with him for a little bit. And he talked about that his favorite thing about being in Bowling Green outside of the ballpark in the city was how fun the clubhouse was. I mean, obviously you're up in the broadcast booth a lot, but I'm sure you hear stories or get to go down there every once in a while and see, you know, the fun clubhouse and, you know, I think that is that what helps these players stay loose to win as many games as they have. I've been very fortunate this season, despite all of the protocols and everything that because of my vaccinated status and because of the way that the team has viewed my position, I have been deemed a tier one individual, which basically means that I am allowed in the clubhouse with masks. I'm allowed around the team. And um, I was actually approved for travel. So I've, I've been with the team and around the team, um, for the better part of the season. And on top of that, I, I am somebody who goes down to the clubhouse. I like to ask players questions. I like to talk to the players. Um, one of my favorite things to do this season has been in, in getting to know them a little bit better, going out and playing golf. So like Michael Mercado, who started game two for us today, is a guy that I regularly play with. Um, and all, all that's to say, this clubhouse has been amazing um, as far as being nice to not just nice to one another but everybody around the ballpark i think they interact with fans well um it's fun to see them around their families when the families are at the ballpark they get along with the coaching staff you sometimes you'll see uh coaches and players you know they'll on the road they'll be going out and and maybe they'll play 18 together or something like that um you know if a guy sees you out at a coffee shop um they may very well get their coffee and sit down at the table and ask you how you're doing uh these guys the tampa bay rays generally try to hold on to and bring in high character people at every position. And that started with Mitch Lukovic's when he was the farm director that's continued with Jeff McLaren. Those guys set the tone and they do a fabulous job of that. I can't stress that enough. These are genuinely good kids in Bowling Green right now. Yeah, I, I think 100% you hit the nail on the head. I know you got to get to a game, so we won't hold you up too much longer. Uh, I've just got a few more things to ask. First of all, can you sort of preview the rest of the season for Bowling Green? And I mean, you guys uh, just looking at the schedule um, as we're recording this, you got five against Hickory, six against Winston-Salem, and then six at home against Wilmington to end the season. And then you guys are either hosting, if I read it correctly, you guys are either hosting Hudson Valley or hosting Greensboro or going to Hudson Valley, or if something falls completely apart, going to Greensboro. All of that is accurate and correct. So I guess I'll take on the season portion. Yes, so we play two games today against Hickory. Uh, those will be on MILB TV if you want to watch. And then <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll finish out the series with three games over Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, this Hickory team is better than, than what we saw before. They ended up with that Gallo trade, which, uh, which brought them Ezekiel Durant. 
Um, of course, Trey Harris, uh, or Trey Hare, as we talked about, used to be a raised farmhand. He's now with the Texas Rangers. He's been hitting 300 this season, and he has hit a bunch of home runs against us. Um, this is the second time we're facing them. So then you turn and you look at the Winston-Salem dash. Winston-Salem lost uh, some players, specifically uh, UNSS, Espinosa's brother, uh, stepbrother, half-brother, whatever it was. Um, I just saw that he had been promoted. And I don't know if they've really gotten anybody. I haven't had a chance to look at the roster recently, so I don't know if they've gotten anybody in place of him. But Winston-Salem has had a rough season. Uh, Wilmington played us tough when we were in Wilmington. Um, and I have a soft spot for them because I worked in Hagerstown, Maryland for a season, and they were the low-A affiliate of the Washington Nationals. And so, um, like, Bob Carpenter invited me out to, Nash- uh, to Nationals Park and, and let me hang out in the broadcast booth during a game and stuff like that. Uh, and I had a really great time. And they actually had some players in Wilmington that that I worked with uh, when I was in Her- uh, Hagerstown. And so, um, I mean, they they played us pretty tough, especially when it got to the weekend. They had some guys that could really chuck it and uh, some really good athletes, too. So it'll be it, that'll be an interesting final series of the season out here. Uh, the nice thing is um, we're going to play a lot of those games at home. Uh, we go on the road to Winston-Salem, which should be fun. That's about eight hours away. But uh, we come back here to take on Wilmington. So Wilmington is basically making a 12-hour drive to come out here to Bowling Green Ballpark end the season. And then they have to drive the 12 hours back. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it's going to fall. And then, like you said, for the postseason right now, uh, the only teams left really vying for it are us at Greensboro, which is a high affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, and then, of course, the Hudson Valley Renegades, which used to be. Uh, a Tampa Bay Rays affiliate, another a New York Yankees high affiliate. Um, and those two teams actually, <laughs> you're going to love this. Those two teams have a series this week together. And then in two weeks, they play each other again. So they play out of the final 18 games, 12 of them against one another. So, um, so that could be really those two series could determine who's playing you guys in the playoffs. I have no doubt that they're going to in, um, because if you think about it, so our magic number, as I said, is 13 as of today, which is Thursday. And, or no, uh, magic number is 12. And then to clinch the division slash uh, one seed, it's 13. So that 13 games, it, it happens however it does. If we lose 13 games, um, but they lose 13 games, we win. We go in. If we, you know, if, if we clinch a playoff berth, if we win out 13 games, we clinch a playoff berth. If we win seven games and they lose six games, right? Math is right on that. I think so. Yeah. Um, so it, it's any combination. Magic numbers are weird because it's not, you know, in the regular standings, you look at it like, okay, we're five games up. Well, if we lose tonight and, you know, Greensboro wins, well, then we're four games up because it's just one game. It's a half game for every win or loss. No, this is two, this is two games for every loss, uh, every loss and every win. Like anything that moves in the opposite direction is two games now. So, um, you know, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then basically the way it works, if we're the one seed, we go on the road. And personally, I would prefer Greensboro because even though the Greensboro has been a tough, tough team this season, I'd much rather the eight-hour bus ride than the fifteen. If I'm so, being completely honest. So why does the one seed go on the road? So it, the way it'll work is that when the season is over, which is the last day is the 19th, which we just moved up our start time to noon. So Wilmington could get home. 
um, you get Monday off for travel day. And then the one seed travels to the two seed. You play two games there, and then you get a day off, right? So that's, what would that be? That'd be Tuesday, Wednesday, off day, Thursday. That's another travel day. Thursday, you go to the one seed's place. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, winner, you know, the winner is, is going to win because it's a five-game series. So instead of doing like a one-two-one, one-two-two, or anything like that, uh, I think it's partially because of COVID protocols. They want to they want to limit travel as much as they can, and so you know you'll go and play the two games, and then no matter what, that last game of the series is going to take place at the at the one seeds uh, the one seed home. Yeah, looking at sort of your guys' schedule, Hudson, you guys never played Hudson Valley this year, uh, uh, which you know I guess was sort of a little more surprising to me. Um, but would it be it would be an interesting story for some of these guys to go back to Hudson Valley where they played their rookie ball at? Oh, no doubt. And some of these guys, I mean, some of these guys really liked the atmosphere up there uh, in Hudson Valley and everything. And really the only advantage, uh, you know, to going back there, I think, would be that, you know, some of these guys are, are going to have, uh, I would assume, at least uh, host families. There, people in, you know, people in the um, that they came to see regularly. So I, I'm sure that that would be really cool. But on the other side of it, they're still a Yankees affiliate and they're, they're different players there. So um, I'm sure there would also probably be a lot of pride in, in trying to trying to take a trophy away from them. And, and I think that would be a huge thing. Uh, so Sean, last question before we let you head out to get prepped for your game out here. Um, what do you, I mean, obviously I don't want to jinx anything and I hate to be this guy, but I'd be a, a bad reporter if I didn't ask. Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen to end out this season? I mean, obviously, I think all of us want to see Bowling Green lift a trophy, but is is that really? Do you think that's going to happen, or do you think you know it's going to be a little too tough or a little too much towards the end? So, you're doing a great job asking these questions. I'm going to do a great job in avoiding them, and I'm going to say I think it comes down to how this new bullpen gets traction. The team can hit. The starters can the, the starters can pitch, but we've had uh, a little bit of an adjustment period uh, for some of the new guys that have come up, and that is how some of these games have been lost uh, in the last two in the last week. Really, um, has been you know going late into a game with a lead, and the bullpen has had a hard time. They've gotten a few outs, and then and then you know disaster strikes. So. Um, we've had, we've seen that throughout the year too, where guys come in out of the bullpen and, and stuff gets a little bit rocky. And then for a week or two, those guys adjust at the high A level. And all of a sudden they're back to getting guys out. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm banking on. Um, but that's the best thing that I can tell you is I think that this team will go the way of the bullpen. There's some good, there's some good arms out there. Um, some live arms and there's some guys that have been performing all season, a lot of new guys out there that are still trying to figure out the level. And I think that that's, that's where your, where, where your bread and butter is really going to be made. So bullpen is going to decide the championship. You guys got the, probably the best two, three, four, three, four, five, four, five, six, however they decide to line up throughout the season in there. And I mean, if you're, if you're a Rays fan, if you're a Rays affiliate fan, if you're just in Bowling Green and live in the Bowling Green area and you're just a Hot Rods fan, you got to be happy with where this team is going and what this team can achieve to end the season. No doubt. And if you don't, if you're not uh, a Hot Rods fan or anything like that, uh, why not start being one? 
The team has been very good. If they make the postseason this year, it'll be eight seasons that they made the postseason since the team started in 2009. That's over like that's like over 60 percent of the time. That's, and that's also, ridiculous. you know, so not just saying this as a Rays fan and a Bowling Green fan, but the best jerseys in minor league baseball with all their fun different specialty nights and even the home and the ways are very nice. Oh heck yeah, well, yeah, we have some really good uniforms here. Um, the players really seem to like the blue ones, but they've also won like 30 games of them. So I don't know which, which side that's on there. And not, not only that, but don't forget, like we have MILB TV too. So if you're a fan of the team, you can always watch it. Which, which I do quite frequently, actually. Usually I have four tabs open for four Rays affiliates and I'm scrolling through them as I'm also watching the Rays play most of the time. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with your doubleheader. Good luck for the rest of the season. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of In the Tank. I'm Aiden Pearson for Sean Mernon and for all of us here at In the Tank. We thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.